You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at Via Hemp Company. Have you ever taken a CBD product hoping that it would help relieve stress or help you sleep, but you were left disappointed? Well, Via Hemp Company is dedicated to crafting high-strength hemp products that you can actually feel. Get this, they even have a legal THC product that they can ship to your door in all 50 states. And let me say, it's about time. Everyone who is tuning into this podcast, whether you're a music lover, entrepreneur, or even a music producer yourself, you know that getting in a creative flow is one of the most important things that we do all day. There are a lot of factors that make an amazing musician, and sometimes we could use that extra push to get into the right mindset. These guys have crafted products to promote specific effects, such as sleep, pain relief, and even energy. Whether you want gummies, topicals, vapes, or drops, they got you. So head over to their site and improve your daily routine with Via Hemp Company. Visit viahemp.com and use code BB15 for 15% off your first order. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Bedroom Beethoven. <laughs> Welcome, people of Earth, to episode 157 of the podcast. My guest this week is. My name is Elijah Land, and um, I'm an artist. Yeah, I'm a musician, music artist. Yeah. <laughs> Man, this episode is special because this is someone that I know personally. Uh, Elijah is releasing new music and he's got a tremendous story. Like a really quick overview. I've interviewed pastors and faith-based rappers on the podcast before. And with each story, I always extract a unique point of view. But this time, you, you know what happens when a person bucks all expectations and goes against, you know, the, the current to be selfish in their own needs. Like being selfish usually has negative connotations, but I think being selfish is necessary, you know, to do things for yourself for your own happiness and well-being. So he walked away from the church before realizing his own truth, which brings him to today, releasing a new music video and his music on streaming services with the support of his day ones and his ever-growing fan base. And I'm just a catalyst for conversation as always. So thanks for being here once again. 
Real quick, bedroombeethovens.com is the website, and this podcast is available on everywhere it is that you get podcasts. So if you feel so inclined, a five-star review would help tremendously. And if YouTube is more your jam, clips and full episodes are posted over there at the Bedroom Beethoven's YouTube channel as we are on the road to over 1,000 subscribers, which isn't much, but I assure you the overall listenership is, is quite healthy. But hey, a milestone is a milestone nonetheless. More importantly, though, patreon.com slash bedroombeethovens. You can give a buck or two and in turn show your support, get access to early episodes and more. Get it? Got it? Good. My people, episode 157, Elijah Land. Let's get into it. We've known each other for a long time. I think we've known each other since what fourth grade, fifth grade. Not not that not that sixth far grade. Back. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we go. There we go. Sixth grade. And um, what, what's funny is is uh, so so first off, we we recently talked on the phone for the first time in a long time, like half a decade, maybe years, maybe longer. Yeah. But it was like we picked up where we left off, like no time had really passed between us. And I think that's a strong sign of friendship, you know? Yeah, actually, I was just talking to a buddy of mine about the same thing. But he doesn't believe the same way that you do. Like, I was, uh, I'm always the person that my mindset is, you know, however my friends are and, and the love that I have for them, like, it doesn't matter if we don't talk for man years like some of my really close friends just because we get busy like sometimes we really don't talk for a while but then once we get back together like just that phone call or whenever they come visit or i go visit them it just automatically it's everything's just back yeah well the way i think about it is i i do feel like i i failed as a friend because a good friend can give you confidence and boost you up but they can also call you out on your shit and if you do call <laughs> your friend out I, I think if you do call your friend out, you should do it in a way that doesn't push them away. And I feel like our last inter- interaction, I, I, I might have pushed you away, and we lost some valuable time between us. Man, it's all under the bridge, baby. Like everything's good. And to be honest with you, I don't think it was. I don't think it was like your fault. I think if I should have, you know, I should have reached out earlier for sure. But I'm really glad that. Uh, Honestly, man, like your podcast is amazing, bro. I've been going through all these and listening to everything. And uh, it's kind of crazy how like I can go through just the older podcasts from when you started and hear some of the people that were like around the Fort Hood area, clean area, whatever. And, and just like some of the people that you interviewed, I'm like, oh, I heard about that guy like back in the day, you know, but I just never, I never really got a chance especially the way that i was raised to even like dive into that type of music or any of this stuff yeah because for people who don't know like we grew up in central texas um korean black household uh restaurateurs (laughs) your your dad is blazing you know your your dad uh, was uh involved in ministry and they were restaurant 
owners and so music's probably not getting played around the house especially rap music uh yeah (laughs) it's kind of funny but um yeah growing up man like i really wasn't able to listen to anything other than gospel and we could listen to classical but that was because my brother played the piano and uh he played like all i mean he was he's really really good he started teaching piano at like 12 and uh so i used to always sit back and listen to him play beethoven and Bach, like all these you know these great classical pieces and um you know i'd go to school and i'd hear everybody talking about oh well we're gonna listen to this and i didn't know any of the names of these songs man i always wanted to listen to it but i just felt i had the fear of god mom and dad were gonna you know, find out. So it was crazy. Man. Wait, so so in high but. school, when you're driving the Altima with 20 inch blades, <laughs> you're by yourself with the windows <laughs> rolled up. You're you're not even curious a little bit. You're not you're not listening to anything that would probably upset your parents, or you you stayed you stayed true to that. So check this out. Like in high school, right when we're rolling around driving and meeting up at these car places, car wash places, and just <laughs> yeah. you know just hanging out with each other. Um, you, I don't know if you knew, if you noticed this, but I always played like techno and trance type music. Like, um, but the reason why was because I convinced like my mom and dad, I was like, Hey, like this, this music doesn't really have a lot of words in it. And I know you guys are really big on the wording. I know you guys are big on, well, they, first off, you know, I played percussion. So it was like, they told me, they were like, Hey, um, you know, you're not going to really be able to play that in the churches that we go to because most of the churches we went to, they didn't play the drums. So it was like one of those things where I uh, I had to really convince them, man, but they let me listen to techno. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, OK, cool. So that's all I listened to, man. And then my brother, he would like sneak listen to alternative music, uh, Lannis Marset, like all these different like alternative bands, Blink-182. And so I got to kind of listen to that a little bit and techno. And I always wanted to listen to rap, man. I just never, I I just couldn't, man. Like it was one of those things where I was not only scared from my parents, but from the churches that we went to, they used to always say like, this is the devil's music. All they talk about is drugs, girls and cars, this and that. And it was, um, it was just, yeah, I was scared. That's crazy because, so, like, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people, and I, and I got to say what, what when I got reintroduced to you after so many years, I'm searching the internet, and I come across this video, and it's hard to say this and get the message across, but it was passion. I, <laughs> I, I saw pa- and I know that that's a word that gets overused, and it might be a little cliche, but it was like, oh, I really want to do this, but more so I'm doing this and I'm pursuing this not for clout or money, but because I'm free. I have a certain freedom now to break away from people who think I should be living my life one way, or I'm free from the critiques that you may have about how I should live my life. I'm going to rap. I'm going to do it with passion and freedom and intent. And I've known the Elijah that helped out at his mom's restaurant. I've known the Elijah who lived on Mallard Lane with the 20 inch blades. I've known the graphic designer, the pastor, the real estate agent. But this next phase, man, is where I saw the conviction. Not that you didn't believe the sermons you were giving at the time, but that seven minute video that you posted about not sleeping and grinding in the studio, that was inspiring before I even heard one note of your music. Man, um, that video was hard to post for me because to be honest with you, like, 
it, I've been struggling internally with all of this. And some of the reasons being is because I know where I am now. I, I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to do. But the problem is like most of the people that have known me for years, especially when I was a pastor, you know, listening to my music or just the fact that I came out and said, hey, I'm going to be a rapper. Like it just I knew it was going to shock people. But here's the thing. Like, I love I love the people that I've come in contact with. I've loved my church and um, all the church members and all the teenagers that I've helped and reached over all the years. So it was like, on one hand, I get that you can you can be in church and you can serve God and you can enjoy those things and you can still do this. But like, I didn't believe it myself before. Like, I, I always thought it was different. I was always like under the impression and told and just from, like I said, the church movement and the groups that I was raised in that it was a separate thing. Like you only listened to gospel. You didn't listen to anything else. And if you did, it was like you were shunned. So, you know, it it, it was a tough video, man. It was really, really tough for me. I don't even think people realized it. I'm, I'm kind of surprised, though, that you like that you saw that from there. But yeah, I was just speaking the truth, man. Let me back up. You told me that when you found rap, it was the same profound experience than when your dad introduced you to the word of God. And it was a pivotal moment. But was it? Like, were you just kind of making your dad proud and kind of going with that and not embracing who you wanted to be because you were afraid of what you were going to lose? So, you know, when I was about six or seven years old, my dad introduced me to Jesus, you know, and, and, you know, by the bedside, I remember praying and I remember like just the moment that I had there, I can't really even describe or like explain what happened to me that day to people. I know for sure that that from that day forth, like it was like God was walking with me, right? When I I get into the booth and I come out for the first time, like that same feeling that I had, that same experience, it was almost like it was it was very similar, but I felt free for some reason. So you could be right. I took another chance on life. I took another chance on me. Nobody knows, nobody knows Is this who I'm supposed to be? I see hearts deflating, rising so fast No me, strings slipping out of their reach And now it's all lonely Losing us slowly, patching up the homie Staring at these bubbles after asking God to show me I mean, maybe it was me, you know, just being scared, I guess, of what other people thought Um being worried about like what other people were going to say and it just it just changed like it literally just changed in a second and I was like you know what I don't care what people say I don't care what people think because this to me is my life like it just I don't even know why it was so profound it was like such an eye-opening experience that like even some like a lot of my family was scared because they were like, what is wrong with you? Like, you've completely changed, like, the whole, your whole attitude, everything that you're doing now. You're so motivated with, like, trying to make music and, and this and that. And they're like, we didn't even know you made music, you know? Um, so it was, it was crazy, man. Have you empowered Larry to be kind of like, man, if, if my little brother can do this, maybe I can be more like myself. <laughs> you know, your, your parents could get really mad at you next time at Thanksgiving, your brother sees your freedom and be like, you know what, mom and dad, I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a birthday clown. 
<laughs> follow my passion. And they're going to be like, Elijah, this is all your fault because, you know, you want to rap and be free. And now it's having, now everybody wants to do it. And, you know, a lot of people can't be, you know, they choose a profession based on what their parents' expectations are or pressure of society. And um, that's going to be inspiring. Whoever's going to hear your music is going to be inspired. And um, I didn't, I didn't want to gloss over the fact on escaping escaping might be a harsh word, but like, you know, church isn't each church is different and it's not always going to be what people think it is. And oh, for sure. I saw an interview with your pastor once where he said, and this is a direct quote where I saw um, Timothy chapter two, verse two in a new light. We have a responsibility to train people who can train people. And this is the model that you see with Jesus and his disciples and what you see with Paul and the men that he trained. It was, incredible to see a ministry that isn't just focused on training but on training men to train and i thought that was interesting because that's almost like like a multi-level marketing thing where you sell herbalife and you get people (laughs) under you to sell herbalife (laughs) you know i'm not saying that religion is a pyramid scheme i attended church for 10 years when i was a youth and i don't recall any importance on the fact that church had a responsibility to put the word of god into me so that i can go tell other people Back in my day, pastors had a calling to preach, but now it's like, oh, I was lost and now I'm found and now I need to repay the church by just working, working, working. It's, it's almost like they prey on people who have weak minds and feel like they need something bigger to be a part of, you know? Not every church is the same, man. And you're exactly right when it comes to politics. Like there's there's politics in church. I realized that after becoming a pastor. You know, it's funny because like before I was a pastor, I could see just like what the people saw, you know, everybody that would come on a regular basis, they sit in the pews, they listen to the preaching, you know, they they get some instruction, they they get to go to the altar and pray or whatever, make decisions. I mean, there's a lot of great memories and good things that happen in church. But when I was a pastor, I got to see a lot of politics and just things that things that bothered me because of the fact that like I always thought that if God you know and I know that God loves me and and God loves us right but it's like he would want us to let other people know his love and that should be like the number one forefront and I just realized that some people don't think that way and a lot of times, yeah, you you know, churches can be a post sometimes for like making money. And it's it's sad when churches do that because I mean, obviously God wouldn't do that to people. You know what I mean? Like God doesn't want to make money off of people. He came, Jesus came to save the lost and the the weak and the sick and the blind and all that. So it's like I don't know. Well, you know what's funny, and I never told you this. But I remember when you, when you, I think when you first became like an associate pastor, you came at me and you asked me about my faith. And if, if I went left, you had, you had an answer prepared. I remember you had a, a McDonald's analogy. Like if I, I don't know, it was weird. Like if I said this, you always had something in your back pocket ready to go. It was like a yeah. template. Like, oh, you think this Marcello? Well, McDonald's has this. And, and it related back to like the word of God. And I, and I, you know, not to offend, but I, I distinctly remember being kind of off put by that because you had all these perfect answers ready to go. <laughs> and yeah, you, you know what I mean? And then like, 
it was like the whole situation was like comparing Christian theology to like a Rubik's cube. I began to look at the faith and say, you know, man, you could turn this Rubik's cube any particular way and end up with a different understanding. And who can say that understanding is right or that understanding is wrong? And and the deeper that you got in the ministry and the less we hung out, now I realize it wasn't because I picked up the phone less. I think it was the church putting more demand on you. I came from my dad's church where I was helping out there. I just came out of Bible college went and went to my dad's church and started like a, a children's ministry type thing there, which, believe it or not, uh, one of my old teenagers uh, just hit me up. So shout out to him. Uh, but he's he's a youth pastor now, and he has like – Pretty much, he said he has like all the kids that I used to pick up from the uh, uh, the neighborhoods there, where there were, you know, these kids. Man, it was crazy. Anyways, that's a whole other story. So um, they go to his church, and I'm like, man, this is great. I, I end up going to back to my home home church that I grew up in. So I was in Cove, and I was a, a, a brand new pastor there. So I think we had just talked. And to be honest with you, what that comes from, and I can explain it. Um, you know, like you get taught when you go to these Bible colleges, you get taught how to say things when people ask you about God and ask you about the Bible. Now, honestly, man, like I just talk to people like I I'll use the Bible and I use scripture, but I, I really try to keep it very organic. You know what I mean? Back then. Yeah, it was definitely like, here's the sheet. All right. He said this. Now I have to say this. And looking at that, it's kind of, I mean, you can tell, you can tell when someone's being genuine, you could tell when someone's being fake. And, um, I always just, I guess, struggled with that in some ways. Um, but now, you know, I've just said, you know what, forget all that. Like, I don't care if people get mad at me. I don't care what they think. I'm just going to give them the truth. That's it. Like when you first start out, are they saying like, you know, you can't grow a beard or if you get married, people are going to take you more serious as a pastor. Like you had, a, like there were these rules that, or an image that you had to like adhere to. I remember being in Bible college and they used to promote um, getting married so much that it was like, they would set you up like on dates randomly. Like you're just sitting there. I remember the first time that it happened, I'm sitting in the chapel service waiting for the pastor to come out and th these guys come out and they're just like, Hey, who here doesn't have a date or who here's, you know, single and people that raise their hand, they're like, okay, cool. Like you and you just sit together or whatever. And I'm like, that's so awkward. Like I was seeing all this stuff that I thought was really strange, but yeah, they do put a big emphasis on being married and being in the ministry. So it wasn't just like, Oh, you're a pastor. Like you needed to get married first. And some of these kids were just like they would rather get married before do anything else because they thought well if i get married then i can be a pastor or i can be a missionary and um it's just a mindset man like i don't know exactly why that was pushed like that but there's all these little things um that i guess you know they'll try to hold you to or certain standards that i realized over the years like it was crazy it was crazy how far in and deep I was in some of this that I realized that half of the things that I learned or that was taught from a pastor or church or whatever was preference stuff. Like it was things that, you know, they just said, oh, well, you know, this is this is what the Bible says, but this is what I believe. So this is what you should probably do. And I, man, 
I'm glad that I I still go to church, but I just don't think the same way, man. And I think that's a testament to how awesome your wife is too, because a lot of a lot of the the people who get married early and they're rooted in the church, if they had if they were at a crossroads and broke away from that, it would disrupt their entire family. Like it would create a ripple effect that would break most families. So it's kind of cool that you just have a support system that you know, and you've been married for probably over a decade at this point, but you have this support system that it doesn't matter. Like they're going to support you and, and they want to see you fulfill your dreams on the sidelines along with you. Yeah. Um, I will say this, man, my wife, man, if it wasn't for my wife, I would not, I would not be here. You know, there's, there's, she's, she's been my rock. She's, she's my muse when it comes to music. Like when I started making music, I actually met her at college, but when when we fell in love, like I sung a song to her on the church bus and I sung it to all the, you know, the kids that were there. They asked me to come and sing the song. And I wrote this song for, you know, the kids that were on this bus, but I'm singing it and I'm looking dead at her. And so from the beginning, it was like she's always been with me. And the whole reason why I started writing music was to stay awake you know, from uh, driving. I mean, I was working third shift and doing all this, but my wife has always been there. Um, And it's been rough, man. Like, I'll tell you this, like, when you're set in a mindset and you're taught a specific thing that, like I said, it's really a preference. It's not like, oh, well, God, you know, did this. But a lot of times they'll use that and say, oh, well, well, God wants you to do this. So you need to do it. And you believe it wholeheartedly. So with your all your heart, you're like, God told me to do this. But it was some man that told you to do it, and he's using the Bible to kind of like guide you, cattle shoot you into this thing. When you're in that for so long, sometimes you don't even realize that you're being led astray because you're just you're you're just wholeheartedly like following. And when I came to this realization, like my wife was like, "What are you doing?" Like we we actually went through a lot of fighting, and we went through a lot of. Um, just because I was trying to find myself, you know, I was trying to find out who I, I've never fit in, man. Like I've never fit in anywhere. Even when I went to school, like, you know, everybody that was in, in, in the school that I went to, uh, when I went to college, they were all like there, they knew they were going to be pastors and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know. I didn't know, uh, what, really why I was there. I just went because my dad and mom went to that school and they asked me to go and and so I went um and um so it was it was I've always been just I've always never really felt like I fit in anywhere and even when I was pastoring like I loved the people at my church and to this day like they still call me all the time I'll text uh, a a lot of them and and see them on Facebook and whatnot but it's just uh one of those things where like I went through this whole change and my wife she stuck by me, but it was hard. It was really hard for her. But yeah, now it's great, man. It's so good to be free and be able to be with her and know that she supports me in everything that I do. It's awesome because um, you had no game in high school, but now you're serenading girls on buses. <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. Well, you say you, you say I had no game, but I wasn't allowed. I wasn't allowed to even date bro like my parents were like uh you better not my mom especially i love my mom to death so little cute korean uh she's like 
you can't she's like you can't date anyone this and that like with her little accent that's funny because uh koreans so. want their daughters to get married immediately at least it might so it might be reversed because <laughs> they want that yeah. money man. They want that money. <laughs> but you know it's funny i i be i was your friend in high school because i felt i was insecure and you were the confident one anybody i gotta emphasize this ultima man that ultima was insane you have to have confidence <laughs> To drive, <laughs> to, rock to rock that, that Altima with that giant <laughs> wing. And did you have y- yellow interior, if I remember correctly? Yeah, yeah, that's black and a, yellow, baby. That's a confidence machine, you know? I, so I don't believe for one second where you say, well, you might have been, like, finding your place and all that, but insecure you are not. And that was, and <laughs> I I picked up on that, and I was like, man, Elijah, like, knows exactly the clothes he wants to wear, the music he wants to listen to. You know, I'm gonna come home from school and I'm gonna play computer games and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna work here. I like it. Just, it just seemed like you had your life together, and me, I was just like trying to figure out who I am. You know, in, in high school, you know, we're all putting up you know German flags and Korean flags in our car, and <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, well, maybe this, you know, this is what they're doing, so I'm gonna do this. You know, no German put German flags in their car. I just did it because all the Korean kids did. <laughs> I didn't want to park in the back of the parking lot. That made my walk to school a lot further. I just did it because everyone else did. <laughs> Yo, I remember that parking in the back. Yeah, that, I mean, I was late to class all the time because I parked like a hundred <laughs> spaces from the front door. But Elijah did it, and this dude is confident. Oh man, you know what I mean. So, um, but but related to that, like we were putting our German flags and our Korean flags, and no one really wore our blackness on our sleeve. Yeah, and as as you embraced it and you were on the sidelines this whole deck, you know, we had the George, George Floyd and Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. Did you observe like in the, like what has happened in the past nine or 10 years, the way some of our prominent white Christian brothers and sisters have responded, were there some folks that just really needed a whole other education? Like you probably saw some responses in the church with people you didn't agree with, right? As you're getting more confident in your race relations and who you are, it was still a predominantly white uh, people that you're uh, ha- that are listening to your sermons, right? Yeah, um, actually, all the churches, pretty much that I was in, they were predominantly white, and <clears throat> which you know I don't have anything against that. It was just like that's why my sound is so different, you know, because I was raised in white churches. I was raised with no drums. I was raised with piano only. I was raised with hymns, you know. And when all this, like the Black Lives Matter, all these movements start coming out, man, it was really tough, man. Because a lot of times, on one hand, I would see like the suffering and the pain, but then that you'd go to church and you'd hear a sermon and it was just like, you know, all lives matter, which, yeah, we get that, you know, totally understand. But there's there's something going on, man. Like you got to see exactly what's going on in this world. And I was blinded then, too. And and here's the thing, like people would listen, people are going to listen to this podcast and there's going to be some Christian, Christian people, good people, but they're going to listen to it and they're going to automatically be turned off just because of the fact that we've mentioned this. It's almost like you can't mention race in church, especially in like white churches and talk about oppression of black people just because of the fact that it's, they don't understand it. And then two, it's like, well, the Bible and it's just like, bro, this is real life stuff. Like, yeah, the Bible's real life, but we're talking current events. 
it was tough, man. I, I totally understand. Like, did you come to the place to where now you've like more embraced like your black side? Um, or how did you like go through that? Being no, no, even with my kids, we never really talk about it. It's my, my seven year old daughter thinks she's a hundred percent Japanese. I don't know. That <laughs> goes around saying I'm Japanese, even though my wife's Korean. No, there's yeah. no, there's no like black pride, even though I have a lot of things around my house that are symbols of me being pr- uh, proud of where I come from. And yeah, it's, it's something that unless you're like a hundred percent black and your parents are a hundred percent black, if you, in my experience, especially in central Texas, cause it's a melting pot. If you come from mm-hmm. a mixed family, they don't, that's like the last thing they embrace for some reason. They're going to embrace Korean. Uh, man, you know how many like kids from Guam we went to school with? Like, why are you repping Guam? That's like, so, you know what I mean? All the Filipinos. Yeah. Filipinos are half black by, like, association are already. You know what I'm saying? And, like, when I graduated uh, high school in 2003, I never heard the word Pinoy. And that's all I heard in high school. Like, yeah. everyone was repping everything but black. And I'm just like, why? And um, so, you, you know, it makes sense that you went off to college and you kind of found yourself with your back against the wall. And you had to defend that part that nobody, like, really cared or brought attention to in oh high my school. Gosh. So it's, it's like speaking about that in college, man, like, and I don't want to throw shade, but like my first week there, my first week, somebody dropped the N-word on me, man. And I straight up got into so many fights. Like they were calling me Muhammad Ali in the dorms because people were just kind of, like most the majority of the college in the church is white. You know, and it's like I said, that's okay, but it's like when you're constantly picking on somebody or like half these kids, they probably they they were just doing it, I guess you could say, just just to for whatever. Like they thought it would be funny or whatever, but I took it seriously, man. I, I fought kids in Bible college. They had me in the office saying you hear them chanting your name outside. They're calling you Muhammad Ali. Why are you fighting? And literally, I just said, well, um, so-and-so, you know, he called me the N-word. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we're going to drop the thing and just we'll, we'll make him apologize, all this. You're good. You're free and clear. And I'm like, dude, like I'd never, I had never been called that my entire life. And then I go to a Bible college, a Christian school and my first week there i get called yeah you you remember in like high school um they would put like swastikas like on my hood and i i never it never got to me bro looking back like that that's intense you know that's crazy man yeah so i mean we we experience stuff like that in in different parts of our lives but that stuff never goes away yeah and i know people you know some people are just ignorant or whatever um and so like i said i like to think in high school it was like anything for a laugh <laughs> that that's the way i, I yeah saw it was it. different too the times were different man like people they got away with saying a lot of things and and doing a lot of things and nobody really held them accountable i guess and now it's almost like you almost have to walk on eggshells with everything that you say and you say something wrong you're gonna get this person offended like i don't care about that stuff anymore man like, I really don't. Like, I don't care if somebody doesn't like me anymore. I don't care. I used to care so much because I wanted my parents' approval. I wanted the church's approval. I wanted God's approval. I wanted everybody to, you know, I, I never wanted anybody to uh, to have a beef with me or, like, hate me or something like that. And 
when I threw that out the window, man, it just changed from there on out. But I can say after um, just all this this soul searching and everything, man, like I've I'm just trying to raise my kids. My kids are like your kids. You know, they're well, I think are yours three or four races, like four different. Things. Oh, my God. It's like they're five, in a blender. Six. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> ridiculous. So my kids are a Salvadoran, Korean and black. So you got three and I try to make them appreciate and love like everything. And that was one of my big steps. That was one of my big things of the reasons why I started prospecting for the Rough Riders. Because, you know, they're predominantly black. Um, and I, I loved I loved uh, my manager, like Big Meech. Shout out to him. Such a good dude. Just down to earth. He kind of grew up in the same, same household. Same thing. Grew up in church. Grew up with a bunch of people telling him what to do. And then uh, he came out here and, and, and made some waves. And I was like, man, I want, I want this type of family. I want my kids to see, you know, and see the culture and see all these things that I missed out on as a, as a kid. Yeah, I was, I was reading, like, there was a Texas pastor who sued Kanye West last week um, because Kanye West hmm. sampled a sermon for the Donda album. Uh, David Paul Moten says <laughs> that the artist formerly known as Kanye West used his sermon in the song Come to Life. And I was thinking, like, why, Sue? Why are you seeking money? Shouldn't you be happy that your sermon is now heard by millions on a Grammy-nominated album? But that's just – I guess that's just the attitude, man. I don't know. That's crazy, man, because <clears throat> I heard that. I've heard the whole album, heard that song. And I remember hearing, like, some of those parts, and I was like, yo, this is cool that he's collabing, you know? I didn't know. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of sad, though. Because if if somebody sampled some of my sermons or something like that, man, I'd be like, yes, I'd be posting that stuff. That's what I'm thinking. So I, I don't know if it's the mentality. And, um, you, you know, the, the last thing I'm going to ask you about this before we move on to music is For sure. you, ha- you had when you were an assistant pastor, you had a fellow assistant pastor who was black. What, did you find any commonality or is it still a hush subject? One of the reasons why I left was because that he he wasn't he wasn't being properly taken care of he wasn't getting paid for being a pastor and um so when i left that changed a lot of things changed when i left actually uh the five jobs that i pretty much had uh because i was doing so much i was and i don't want to get into everything man but i was doing a lot at that church and um when i left they pretty much had to hire people and, and get people to fill all those positions and it was like I was so heartbroken because I couldn't tell people why. I couldn't really explain myself. And even to this day, like, I, I, I don't want to throw shade on the church. Uh, I think it's a great church. I think the people there are good. Um, and I love the I love the people to death. It was just I just I saw some things in the leadership and I just had to I had to. But it, it was away. hard. It was hard to make a livable wage, though. And, you know, what's cool is like so when you leave and they have to hire five people to fill your spots. They appreciated what you did. It was too late. Yeah. But they were like, man, he did the work of five men. Yeah, I was already gone, man. And it was so sad, too, because, like, me and my family just literally cried, like, every day. Like, I remember moving out here and literally having nobody to talk to. My family is just ripped from their existence. Like, all their friends, their best friends, the closest people that they loved. We're just like we're we're out here by ourselves and just trying to figure things out. Like imagine building a legacy there. You started with like thirty people and now it's like 
it, you're running two, three hundreds or whatever it is, and then we just leave. And and nobody knows, you know, but I had to I had to like keep all this stuff and, and not tell I didn't want the church to split. I didn't want people to get mad, but I just couldn't I just couldn't stay anymore, man. And so now it's like, well, I, I'm reconnecting with all these people and I'm loving the fact that like they still have love for me, even though some of them still don't know to this day, like why I left. Tell me about your life now as an artist on the cusp of releasing music. Like what does that feel like like you must have a renewed sense of spirit and strength how is that affecting your life the only other time that i felt like this was when i was just reaching the the people in chicago man there was these bus kids and and, and children out there that pretty much were in impoverished areas like cabrina greens was torn down in Chicago. I remember going into Cabrina Green's high rises, like seeing drug deals and the cops are on the outside. And I mean, I'm over here spreading the gospel and people are like, why are you going in there? You're going to get killed. I mean, it was crazy, man. But we, we just loved people. And I feel like now I can do that again. And so I wasn't able to preach or any of this for a long time, just because of the fact that I didn't want to like hurt the church. I didn't want to do anything like that was going to stunt them. So now I have all this energy and, and excitement about my music. Um, so you already know, like I have a lot of songs that I've been doing over the years just for my wife and just for like experiences and whatnot. And then, you know, I meet up with, um, Mr. Stride, funny story. He's, he's actually a client of mine. I'm, I'm in real estate out here. I meet up with this guy and his, his, he's like, yeah, you remind me of your bro- of my brother. And I'm like, huh? So long story short, we end up meeting and I show him some of my stuff and we just hit it off. So these, you know, f- couple of first couple of songs that we're going to release, which the one that we released today, uh, Left My Heart in Mexico, and then a couple other ones, like we're on the same uh, track together. And I wanted to collab with him because you know, here's a guy, he just recently moved from another place too. And, you know, we're having lunch and he's telling me about this experience that he had in Mexico. And it wasn't like, he wasn't saying, let's make a song. It was just, we were talking. And so I get home that day and um, I'm talking to my daughter and whatnot. And like I always do, we just turn on the music and do little rap beats and, and songs and whatnot. Um, and that, it just came out. And so I sent them, sent it to him and he listened to it and he's like, man, I, I gotta, I gotta hop on this. And it just was so, it was so natural. Everything happened so fast and so organically that I was just like, man, this is fate. Um, so I'm really excited, man. I have so much stuff that I'm trying to work on. The music video is about to come out. I have all these other singles I'm going to release. I have albums already in my mind. I'm doing all the art. I have artists that I've contacted uh contacted with all the different like albums and everything even um the cover art for mexico that was done by a local artist here man that's dope so and uh ex-pastor dropping music on friday the 13th the devil holiday (laughs) you know i i purposely was like oh friday the 13th that's a cool day and uh (laughs) i was just like let's do it (laughs) let's go i mean honestly i i didn't want to I had to drop it because so many people kept asking me. Like everybody's like, "Oh, you used to be a pastor, now you're a rapper." Like, I want to hear what you're, you know, hear what it is. And so I like to keep people surprised. And I know that when 
when they hear the song, they're going to be like, okay, like it's going to be surprising. And I just, I got to keep them on their toes, man. Yeah, because people are going to be like, oh, well, if he's an ex-pastor, then it's going to be Christian rap. And if it's not Christian rap, it's going to be so (laughs) anti-Christian rap because he's not a part of the church anymore. And that's not what it's about, man. Like, like you're, you're crying in the booth, man. It's, it's got to be overwhelming. You have so much to say and so much perception that you have to push up against. It has to be overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I hadn't slept in four days. Uh, three or four days. I can't even remember, man. I wasn't even eating that much. I mean, it was like, I just didn't have time. It was almost like, it was almost like somebody told you, hey, like the world's going to end. And you wholeheartedly believed it. And there was a date set. And now you're just like, I have to get all these things done because the world's going to end. I mean, it was like that type of desperation, that type of like drive and so I'm going for like three, four days straight and people are calling me and everybody's like, what's going on? This and that. So that's why I, I just posted that video just because I got tired of having to answer the phone, especially with like close friends, people that like I love still to this day. But they're like, what are you doing? Like you're forsaking God. You're forsaking the church. I'm like, no, like I still go to church. I still love God. Like. All these things are the same. I just want to make music. Leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, through this whole journey, man, I'm, I'm excited to see you on the other side of it. And I and I knew even back when we first met that you were meant for great things. So that's why I'm. you're never going to get a text from me saying, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, we, we you have a whole generation of kids that listen to your messages. And right now they miss you. And perhaps they felt betrayed by you. But even so, that just speaks to the hold that you had on people. And they didn't want to see you go. But in life, sometimes you have to do things for yourself. And you're finally doing that. So, um, I mean, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm, I'm excited to support you from the sidelines and, and I'm glad that we could connect and do this, man. I really appreciate it because everybody that's been in my life, that's loved me, that's helped me along my path and me, you know, sometimes as a pastor, you're thinking you're helping all these people and you're preaching these sermons and changing people's lives, man. What I realized is those people, like they shaped me, like the people shaped me. I remember this one guy, and he's probably going to hear this, but he was blind and, um, he's a good friend of mine. I still talk to him. His name's Jerome. Um, but he, I brought him to church and I saw him just have like so much joy being able to go to church and being able to hear and, and, and listen and just enjoy the gospel preached. And he was excited, man. And I, just to see that, it's like when you see experiences like like even the song Mexico. I went to Mexico with the same church that I'm talking about when I was 16. You know, I I went to this Mexico missions trip and I remember being out there seeing these kids and we went to some really some places that were like man, I I didn't, I was like wow, like they're bringing us to some really really bad places, but I got to see these kids that were just, they had nothing. And when you see that as a kid yourself, like I remember bringing pencils because, you know, we used to, you remember playing pencil pop back in the day, (laughs) little Pentec pencils and all that. We, I brought some pencils and I remember like handing them out to these kids and, um, I'm trying to teach them this game you know. I'm trying to teach them pencil pop and they were getting mad because I'm breaking pencils and they're like, no, we want to use these to write with. And when you see the houses that some of them li- lived in and, and stuff, it just changes your whole perspective. And that's why 
growing up, I was like, oh, I want to be a missionary. So these people, they they shape you. Like when you have compassion on people and you meet people in life, a lot of times those people, the influence that they have, it uh, it carries with you for the rest of your life. Where can people find you? What What's on the horizon? Man, I'm not as snazzy as Zoo right now with all the – even though I, I did do graphics back in the day. Uh, my website is not exactly up, but pretty much everything is Elijah Land. So Instagram, TikTok, it really TikTok is where I'm going to be pushing a lot of my stuff. But Elijah Land, that you can find me on pretty much anything with that. Um, and yeah, this is just the beginning. So I can't wait to see all this other stuff that I'm about to put out and just to see if people vibe with it, man. That's the real, the important thing for me is like, I'm going to be doing this forever because I've always been doing this. Like like I said, even when I was in college making songs from the drum line, Brandon Rogers, we used to rap in the little percussion room, all that kind of stuff. So I've been doing this forever. It's just I want to see if people actually want to get behind it and want to enjoy these songs that I put out. And there's going to be a lot of different genres as well. Like It's not just going to be one thing. I want to say this. I really appreciate your friendship after all these years and all the support and just things that you've uh you know been helping with recently and just texting me and keeping me encouraged and whatnot and this podcast is amazing man so yeah, i appreciate that